Well, how many of you collected baseball cards when you were kids? I did, okay? Good number of you guys. If you were a baseball card collector, you're going to appreciate this story. Last year, this just happened in 2016, there was a family in the southern United States. They wished to remain anonymous. You'll understand why in just a minute. They were cleaning up a house that had belonged to their great-grandparents uh, for, uh, you know, a hundred years this house had been in the family. And as they were cleaning it up, they found a paper bag on the floor of the house. They almost just picked it up and threw it away, but decided, let's just look inside and see if there's anything interesting. Now, they opened up the paper bag and they saw some postcards and some notes and things along those lines. But they also saw uh, several little cards about this big and maybe that wide uh, that looked uh, just like this. Okay, so uh, you can see this is obviously, this is a baseball card. This is a baseball card that came from a tobacco pack of some kind somewhere between 1909 and 1911. Now, the family didn't know anything about baseball. They saw the face, they saw the name Ty Cobb, and no joke, the article I read said they thought, isn't Ty Cobb a baseball player? And yes, he was, uh, one of the greatest of all time. Turns out what they had found was one of the rarest and most expensive baseball cards that there is. In fact, not only one, they found seven of them in this paper bag. There, up up to this point, had only been 15 of these cards known in existence. They brought the number up to 22, just in this one bag. Each of these cards ended up selling for more than $400,000. This family made $3 million from a paper bag they found on the floor of a house. Now, when I was collecting baseball cards, that was like every collector's dream, right? That one day I will locate or find or stumble across some card that's worth hundreds of thousands or millions. So it's kind of cool. On the other hand, I read it and I think there's a little bit of tragedy here. Because the people who owned the house and the people who owned those cards for decades didn't realize or make use of the riches that were really sitting right there inside the house until their great-grandkids found it. And now I share that because uh, I'm going to guess that there is a similar type of tragedy going on in some of your homes right now. Okay? Now, I don't mean go check the attic when you get home or something like that. You're welcome to. But what I'm saying is this, that we have one of the greatest treasures in history in our homes, sitting on our nightstands, sitting on a shelf. And of course, I'm talking about the Word of God, the Scripture. We have one of the most valuable treasures, the, the divine, inerrant Word of God, but we don't read it. Right, if we're honest, a lot of us have Bibles. We believe in the value of the Bible. I'm going to assume, because you are at Grace Bible Church, that you would affirm what we just read uh, during the worship service. Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. I'm going to assume that you believe that, that you would sign our doctrinal statement that says, I believe in the inerrancy and the inspiration of the Scripture. But my question is, when, when your week 
proceeds after you leave here, will you read it? Right? Will you take advantage of the riches in God's Word? A few years ago, I ran across some statistics from the Barna Institute uh, about Americans in the Bible. Here's what I found. 79% of Americans consider the Bible sacred, right? In other words, they may not all believe that it is inerrant, but they believe it at least contains revelation from God. 79%. Uh, 56% of Americans feel like the Bible should exercise more influence in the life of our country. So more than half of Americans would say, I believe the Bible is sacred, and I think the Bible should have more influence in the life of our country. 88% of Americans own a Bible. On average, we own three Bibles per household as a, as a nation. Uh, as I was putting this together this week, I sat in my office and just counted the Bibles. Now, I realize I'm a pastor, so I have a lot of them, but I counted 13 just English Bibles in my office. Uh, I walked around our bedroom yesterday and counted, I think, seven or eight just in our bedroom. That doesn't count my kids' Bibles or whatever. So we have maybe 20-something Bibles. My guess is that in your house, you may have dozens of Bibles, right? 88% of the country owns at least one. Most people own more than one. However, here's the rub. Only 37% of us read it even once a week. Only 37%. Only 28% read it more than once a week. What that tells me is there's a certain percentage you say, I read the Bible once a week, but what they mean is they read it when they come to church, right? There are 10% that the only time they're reading it is in rooms like this. Only 15% read the Bible every day. Right? In other words, we believe the Bible is sacred, we believe the Bible is valuable, we believe the Bible came from God, but we don't read it. Okay, so here's my question for us this morning. Uh, do you and I have a regular pattern of reading the Scripture? Do we incorporate it into our lives in some way? And when you do read it, I want to ask, do you consider it a chore or do you consider it a joy? Do you consider it a way to know God, to dive more deeply into your relationship with God? Or is it something you do just because you have to do it and you muscle through? Because if that is always the feeling we have toward the Scripture, then we will eventually get discouraged. So we're going to talk a bit about that this morning. Let me ask another question. Do you approach the Bible to read it directly, or do you always go through some kind of mediating book or podcast or teacher? In other words, do you spend more time listening to your favorite preacher or reading your favorite Christian author than you do engaging with the Word of God? As we wrap up the summer uh, and we finish up the Psalm series, I'm really going to springboard off of Psalm 19 this morning, but we're going to be in a lot of passages. But as we move toward the fall, I really felt like it's an appropriate time for all of us to pull back and ask the question, do I have a regular routine in my life of reading God's Word and knowing God's Word? And the reason is this, because I really believe you cannot know God well unless you're in His Word. You cannot know God well unless you're in His Word. And I promise the more that we invest time in the Word of God, I absolutely can promise you this. I don't make a whole lot of 100% guarantees or money back in this room, right? But I promise you, if you invest regular time in the Word of God, it will transform your life. It will transform the way you approach your relationships. It will transform the way you approach your work. It will transform your relationship with God if you regularly approach the Word of God and read it in a spirit of submission, in a spirit of listening to God. So do we do it? 
What I want to do this morning is lay out some principles for how we can incorporate the reading and study of Scripture into our lives between Sundays so that we don't find that we get here and this is the only time we're looking at the Word of God. So let me dive in with a few thoughts about how we can incorporate the Word of God into our life. First one is this, find the time. All right, find the time. My guess is that your biggest objection, especially if you have a family, you have a job, you have kids, your biggest objection to reading the Scripture is when, right? I don't know when to do it. I read an article just this past week, I was looking at some statistics about this, that said most of us spend around three hours a day checking our phones, okay? Now, I don't say that as like you people looking at your phones all the time. I'm as guilty as anybody in this room. Most of us spend three hours a day on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or email, texts, whatever it is, we spend a lot of time. We spend about five hours on average in leisure activities. What that means is activities like playing games, reading, exercising, watching TV, watching a movie, looking at our phones. And I, I hear that, you know, some of you go five hours, there is no way, right? That can't be true for moms of little kids. There's no way I have five hours of leisure time. I actually, they broke this study down and found that even moms with little kids under five generally spent three and a half to four hours a day watching TV, checking their phones, or exercising. Um, We don't read as much anymore as we used to. Those who are 75 and older generally spent about an hour a day on the weekends reading for pleasure. In contrast, those 15 to 19 spent four minutes a day reading for pleasure. I'm not even sure what you read for four minutes, (laughs) the shampoo bottle or something like that. Okay, now, now I bring that up not to say that leisure is bad, right? I bring that up not to be like, you should not ever look at your phone, you should not ever do something fun, but here's what I'm, I'm going to say. If you've got three to four hours a week engaged in leisure times, and, and let's be honest, if we're honest, we, we really do probably have at least an hour or two a day where there's some downtime. Could we carve out 20 minutes of that to spend time in the Scripture? All of us know it, but we don't always apply it. We know that we make time for those things that matter to us, don't we? Uh, When I was 23 years old, uh, I was working as an intern at Grace, and I had a second job. I was working uh, at Aggieland Printing, actually, for Johnny Stimson. So I had two jobs. I worked seven days a week. I often would work at the church well into the night. If you had asked me right then, Matt, do you have time for dating? I would have said, there's no way. I don't have any margin in my packed schedule to incorporate another person, right? But that was before I really knew Shannon. And then it's amazing how three or four hour blocks of time presented themselves to my life, right? We could close down Chili's with a conversation. I thought I didn't have any time. No, I had time. I just wasn't making priority for anything other than work, right? The time was there. Once I found somebody I loved, I made the time, right? What if we took the same approach to our relationship with Jesus Christ, right? What if we were to say, I want to fall in love with God and His Word. I want to know and love the Word of God because I know that God loves me, that God loves me in Jesus Christ so much that Jesus died and rose again for me. And so I'm going to peel away just for 20 minutes a day, 20 minutes of that four hours a day. I'm going to say I'm going to get up 20 minutes 
earlier. Now, some of you say, there's no way that I can beat my kids out of bed. I get that. I've been in that phase of life. All right, so go to bed 20 minutes early. All right, here's what I do right now in the flow of my life is as I'm driving around, I, I will play the phone on an app in my car, right? So I can listen as I drive from place to place and hear the scripture. I promise you, you have the time somewhere. So my encouragement is, First, find the time. Figure out uh, where in my life, where in my calendar will I make that time, right? Maybe during your lunch at work, maybe while waiting for appointments. You open up the scripture and you invest in God's work, all right? So that's the first principle, find the time. Second one, learn how to read it. Learn how to read it. You may have noticed that reading the Bible is more difficult than reading like the latest John Grisham novel, right? A lot of us, we begin the year with really good intentions. I'm going to read it all the way through this year. This is the year. And then we hit Leviticus, or we hit Numbers. And we go, why did I decide to do this Bible thing? We do the same thing, actually, with exercise, too, don't we? Sounds really fun and exciting in January, less so when you're running in August. Okay, but one of the reasons I think that, that our reading habits taper off is because we don't understand how to read it. The Bible is more difficult in some ways than other books we read. There are a few reasons for that. Let me just uh, go through a few of the reasons the Bible can be more difficult. First one is this. There's a cultural distance between us and the writers, right? We all know and recognize that the Bible was written uh, thousands of years ago to different cultures in a different time. We'll talk about language in just a moment, but there's a cultural distance. So one of the examples of that is if you read the book of Ruth, right? The book of Ruth is in some ways a love story, but it's really a story about uh, not human love, but about the love and loyalty of God, right? But you read it and there are things that can puzzle you. Why does Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, send her to glean in the fields behind Boaz and his men? Why is it that Ruth goes into the threshing floor, kind of like the barn, and she lies down next to Boaz and uncovers him a little bit and sidles up next to him. It sounds a little sketchy if you don't understand the cultural dynamic, right? Why is it that when Boaz approaches uh, Ruth's closest relative to talk about marrying her, the guy takes off his shoe and hands it to Boaz, right? Did they have some kind of weird foot thing going on in the ancient world? You read that stuff and you go, what is happening so sometimes I think we begin to read and we sort of throw up our hands and we go, I don't, I don't get this. This is a weird story. And so we quit. There's a cultural distance. There's a language barrier. The, the scripture is largely written in Hebrew and in Greek, the Old Testament in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek, and it's been translated into English. And our translations are excellent, but sometimes it's difficult because we have a hard time getting at what is the original author actually trying to say. The translation may be different from the NIV or the NAS or whatever it may be, and so that, that troubles us or puzzles us. Also, there are theological difficulties, right? That may be the biggest one. We open it up and we read James, and we read about James 2 where it says, faith without works is dead, and then we go over to Romans chapter 4 and says, it says you're, you're justified by faith apart from works, and we go, what's going on? Is there some sort of conflict in the Bible? Uh, We were at Taco Cabana with our kids a couple of weeks ago, and we got into a conversation. Our kids at the time were watching Lego Ninjago, the TV show. Somehow that led into a discussion of good and evil, right? This always happens if you're a pastor's kid. You can't help it. 
So we start talking about good and evil. And our, our middle daughter, our nine-year-old, starts asking these questions based on her reading of the Bible and things that she's learned from Sunday school. And she says, well, how, how can it be possible that God's in control of everything, but evil people still do stuff? And we're just like, just it's eat your taco, right? We bought you tacos so your mouth would be full, right? So you don't have to, right? But, but, but what's going on in her heart and mind? It happens to all of us. As we read the scripture, as we engage with God's word, questions come up. And we don't always know how to answer them. Right? So we get frustrated and we throw up our hands. Right? So the Bible can be more difficult than other books that we read. But again, if we believe the words of Psalm 19, then it's absolutely worth it to persevere. It's absolutely worth it to persevere. So let me give just a few principles of how to read the Scripture this morning in a way that it will be profitable. Right? How, how do we approach it? How can we read it? First one is this, pray, pray, pray. Before you open it in the morning, before you play it in your car, pray. Right? The Bible is a supernatural book that requires supernatural understanding from the Spirit of God to understand it properly. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. If you know Jesus Christ this morning, the spirit of God lives in your heart and mind. So you have the resources that you need to know God and to understand his word. So before you open it up and as you read it, you pray. If you ate a difficult passage, you pray, God, help me understand. Say, God, I'm listening to you. I want to know you. I want to understand. I really strongly believe that those who do not know Jesus Christ can only really understand the Scripture on kind of an academic surface level. I really have seen that time and time again. There are commentaries that I have on my shelf that are written by those who don't know Jesus and all too often, you really can tell the difference in those commentaries and the ones that are coming from a heart of submission to Jesus Christ. I remember a few years ago, I ran across an article in Newsweek. It was called something like, How You're Reading the Bible Wrong, or something like that, kind of a hostile title for an article, you know. And I, I began to read it, and this guy was talking about all the misunderstandings people have when they read the Bible, right? But he was coming from a place of unbelief, so he was trying to tear down the historicity of the Scripture and the truthfulness of the Scripture. And as I read it even, I saw multiple historical errors and factual errors in his article. Why? Because he wasn't coming at it objectively. He wasn't coming at it to understand. He was coming at it to destroy. Because the Scripture is a supernatural book that speaks about the power and the love of God. In order to understand it, then we need the power and the Spirit of God. All right, so we approach it in prayer all the way through the process. Pray, pray, pray. God, give me wisdom. If you don't know Jesus Christ and you want to understand the Scripture, really, I believe the only way to understand it as God intended is to know God through Jesus. To believe that Jesus died for your sin and rose again so you can have a clean heart and a relationship with God. So we pray. Second, we practice. 
practice, practice, right? Practice doesn't make perfect, but practice certainly allows us to grow in the skill. Uh, How many of you can remember when you were first trying just to learn to read? Anybody remember? Okay, not many of us. How many of you remember when your children were first trying to read? How many of you was that a painful experience for you? Yeah, most of us. When, when our kids were little, their school had this thing where it was like, you have to read with them. You have to listen to them read for 20 minutes every night. If you have ever tried to listen to a learning reader for 20 minutes, it is the longest 20 minutes of your entire life. All right, they'll go, ah. right? And you look at the clock, you're like, surely it's been 20 minutes. Those two words took 20, it's like been a minute and 13 seconds, you know? And there are tears, there's stomping of feet, there's throwing of the book, and the kids are upset too. That's not just you, right? It's painful. But they don't stay there, do they? Suddenly, I know at least with our kids, it was like they rounded a corner and all of a sudden they were reading quicker and quicker. Well, what happened? They just sat there and practiced. That's all that happened. There wasn't any magic to it. They had to go through those tearful, frustrating first steps in order to get to where it made any sense. The scripture is the same. It's a discipline. The more we practice, the more we understand. So you read it once and you go, man, there were huge swaths of this that I don't understand. So you read it again, and you read it again, and you write down observations from God's word, and you read it again. You practice, and you practice, and you practice, right? Don't give up. Thirdly, join a group. We're going to have more information about this in a few weeks, but I will say that um, much of my own learning, probably most of my own learning about how to read the scripture and apply it came from the encouragement and instruction of groups that I was in where there was a skilled leader or another group member who said, here's how you can understand what the Scripture is trying to say. I believe this fall, actually, our Bible studies are going to go through the book of Hebrews. We usually also in our home groups have an opportunity for some to talk about the sermons that we're preaching on Sunday morning. Join a group. In in the words of Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Right? I grew up going to church. I grew up reading the Bible. It wasn't until I was in college and I joined a group where the leader took us through some skills of how to read and study the Bible well that it began to really click into my heart and mind. How to understand it, how to study it. August 27th, by the way, we're going to have a lot of opportunities, some tables out if you're interested in joining a Bible study or joining a group with grace. And then fourthly, use resources. Ephesians 4 talks about the gifts of the body of Christ. Some are pastors, some are teachers, some are evangelists. There are people who have written resources or who are pastors or teachers who are very, very gifted at what they do. So you say there's a language barrier in the scripture. There are people that can help you understand what does this word mean? What does this passage mean? There are some great commentaries both online and offline 
Uh, I'd encourage you in this respect, though, use the resources second, right? Read the Bible first. I, for my own reading, I do not use a Bible that has notes at the bottom. It's not because I'm against a study Bible, but it's because I find if I have notes at the bottom, I'm too tempted to immediately run to the notes when I don't understand. Right, my encouragement is first, begin to wrestle with the text. What does it say? Take some notes. Write in the Bible. Don't be afraid to write in the Bible if you have questions. And then go to some resources. One of my favorite online resources I'll share with you, it's called soniclight.org. It's written by a professor at Dallas Seminary, and he's just gone through every book in the Bible and created a free, amazing online commentary, soniclight.org. I, I use it frequently. If you have a few hundred dollars you want to spend, Logos is a great software package with some tools and resources. They're out there. Don't be afraid to use resources, but I'd say use them sparingly, use them carefully, and always bring whatever they say back to the Word of God. All right, so we want to make the time, we want to learn how to read it, and then thirdly, uh, let it transform you. Allow it to transform you. Uh, most of us would affirm, again, what 2 Timothy 3 says. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Right? We affirm that. But it doesn't always feel that way, does it? Again, because sometimes we read the Bible and we say, it doesn't feel like I am equipped. It doesn't feel like this is relevant. It doesn't feel like it's useful. And and here's why I think that happens to us. I think it happens to us because we come to the Bible with the wrong questions. We come to the Bible with the wrong questions. We come to the Bible for one of two reasons. One, to satisfy our curiosity. We say, I don't understand the book of Ruth, and so I want to have information in my head. So if I'm playing Bible bingo or something, I can always win. My kids have actually recently been watching a game show on Netflix. It's called like the Bible challenge or the, I can't remember what it's called, but it's got Jeff Foxworthy and they just answer Bible questions. And it's fun But that's not actually the goal of reading the Scripture. I think we also come to the Scripture asking another wrong question, which is, how can it fix my problems? All right, so we open it up and we go, I need more money. Which verse will fix that? My kids are a pain. Is there a verse that will fix that one? Right, and so we look for our circumstances to be fixed. But what's interesting is that's not what the Scripture does for us either. Instead, what the Scripture does is it it cuts us open. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. I'll just open up my Bible and read it. Hebrews chapter 4. There, uh, can you go on to the next slide? Can you guys get it to advance? All right. That's all right. I have a Bible. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active, And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What is the scripture designed to do? Well, it's not designed to answer your curiosity or to fix your problems. Instead, what happens is as we read the Bible, it actually, it opens us up. And it reveals those areas of our heart that are not in conformity with God's character few years ago, and I'm sure a lot of you have had this experience too, I was driving one of my kids to the doctor, and they were going to have to get some dreaded shots. And as we were on the way, 
The child said, just kind of in a matter-of-fact way, hey, Daddy, I just want you to know, I don't like shots. Right? And it was a good moment for a conversation because I said, you know what, I don't either. I don't know anybody who actually likes shots. I've never met that person who's like, I really, I really appreciate them. I love being poked with a needle. Hey, nobody likes it. But we have to do it. Why? Because otherwise we'll get sick. Otherwise we could die, right? The shots protect our life. They protect our health. Uh, I was reminded also of when I was in uh, college, I think my freshman year of college, I was working uh, a job at a law firm where I was just kind of a paper runner and filer, and I had to wear dress shoes, and I had these relatively cheap dress shoes that irritated my foot. And over the course of the summer, I began to develop a uh, large, hard sort of bump on my foot, and I couldn't get it to go away, and it got worse and worse to where I was, I was kind of limping. So I went into the doctor, and he looked at it, and he said, yeah, you've got a problem. And in fact, I'm not making this up. It was a particular type of little tumor in my foot. It was called a Morton's neuroma. I actually had a tumor named after my ancestors, I guess. Right? He said, we're going to have to cut it out. And so, of course, I had to go in. I had to lie down on a table. It was a local anesthesia, right? So I'm awake the whole time, and he's cutting this thing out of my foot. And because doctors like to do this kind of thing, he wanted to show it to me when he was done with it, right? You're like, no, I'm actually, I'm paying you to take it away. I don't, I don't want it. I don't want to see it. All right, did I like the surgery? No, I didn't like being cut open. Nobody likes surgery. All right, but it's the reason I can walk a whole lot better today than I could then. I needed that disease to be removed from my body. And that's what the scripture does. It opens us up. So you wake up in the morning and you think, man, my, my spouse is really being a jerk. And you're angry and you're slamming doors and you're frustrated. And then you open up the scripture and you read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 to 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And you put the Bible away and you don't read it for another year. Right? It's too convicting. That's what the Scripture does. You read the stories of Israel, right? how they reverted to idolatry over and over and over and over again because they valued security over following God's path. And then you look at your life and you say, oh, Sometimes I do that too. I just want to be safe. I just want to have enough money. I just want to be comfortable. And so I worship things that are not God. You open up James 3 and he talks about how the tongue is a fire. And you recognize that that's true in your own heart and mind. You open up Philippians and it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, and you think, i got to shut down my Facebook account then. Because my posts are filled with selfish ambition and vain conceit. You see, that's what the Scripture does. One of the most memorable incidents in my own life for how the Scripture cut me open happened, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. I was reading 
the story of David's life. And, and there's this little story that a lot of us forget about, but when David was being chased around by King Saul, right? King Saul's trying to kill him. Uh, David at one point has Saul kind of in his sights. He can finally take revenge and kill Saul and be free of him. And David creeps up in a cave while Saul, it says, is relieving himself, right? So he is creeping up behind him and he cuts a little corner off of Saul's robe and then he sneaks away. And when Saul comes out, he, he yells, hey, Saul. Saul turns around and goes, whoa, David's here. He goes, look, I've got the corner of your robe. I could have killed you. Right? But what's remarkable about that is David goes away and it says he was stricken by guilt because he touched the corner of the robe of God's anointed. Right? So any little deviation in integrity, David says, oh, I've got to get right before God. Okay, so I'm reading this. And as I'm reading it, the Spirit begins to remind me of an incident a decade or more before where I had been dishonest on a paper in a class. Right, so I'm reading it, and, and this keeps coming to mind, and I keep trying to push it back out of my mind, right? This is devotional time. This is not Matt feel guilty time. But I can't. And I'm hearing the Spirit say, if you want to draw close to me, you got to deal with this. And it's slicing me open. So I sat down and I wrote a letter to that instructor. I said, here's what I did. Forgive me. And I said, God, forgive me. I put it in an envelope and I mailed it. Out of recognition that if I'm going to read the scripture, it's not always so that I can answer questions, but it's always so the word of God can change my heart. That's what it does. Will you and I approach the word of God to allow it to transform our hearts? You want to know God well, you have to know his word. We're going to celebrate communion in just a moment, but let me offer just a few practical ideas as we close. Some practical suggestions. First of all, pray for wisdom, as we said. James 1.5, you ask God for wisdom, he wants to give you wisdom. Pray for wisdom when you open it, pray for wisdom when you close it. Second, find a good plan. There's a lot of good Bible reading plans. I'd, I'd encourage you, find one that, that is only like four or five days a week. So if you have a day where you're not able to read, you don't get so far behind that you're discouraged. All right? There are some good plans. If you download the YouVersion Bible app, there's some good reading plans in there. If you have the Logos software, there's some good reading plans in there. Find a good plan. Secondly, find a good group. We talked about that earlier. Thirdly, don't be afraid to use audio Bibles. Again, as you're driving around in your car, as you're exercising, put it in your ears and listen to the Word of God. The reality is that through most of history, this is how people would have engaged with Scripture anyway. Most people didn't have books in their homes, so they would have heard it read by somebody. And then use outside resources carefully and sparingly. And then finally, don't give up. Don't give up. Whatever you do, don't give up. As hard as it may seem at first, just keep going. Keep practicing. Again, those who have incorporated a good routine of eating well or exercising into your life, you know, that's, that's a huge principle is you just, you wake up and you do it even when you don't feel like it, right? You go to the gym even when every voice inside you says, I 
hate the gym and I hate these people here because I have to do this, right? But you go. You open up God's Word and you keep going and you keep going through the power of the Spirit to allow it to transform us so we can know God well. Uh, we're going to celebrate communion as the, as the men come forward. What I really want us to meditate on this morning is, is this, that communion is a great opportunity for us to remember how God wants to know us, that he gave Jesus Christ his only son who died for our sin and rose again because he wants to know us. That's what the scripture tells us about. Ultimately, the Bible points us to Jesus, whom we worship this morning. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, uh, go ahead and let the elements go by and ask, is this the day that God would be calling me through his spirit to say, I want to trust in Jesus, to accept the free gift of eternal life that he has given. If you know Jesus, you're welcome to participate with us, whether you're a member of this church or not. And as we prepare for communion, then let's take a few moments and thank God that in Jesus Christ, he reached out to know us. And then he gave us his word so we can understand and know him as well. So let's spend a few moments and then we'll celebrate communion together. 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23, Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us pray and then we'll close in worship. Father, we're grateful for the morning. We're grateful most of all for Jesus. We thank you that you have allowed us to know him through your spirit and through your word. We pray we would commit to lives in which we take advantage of the resources and gifts you've given us. I pray we would dig into your word. I pray we would know you better this year. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.